frame rate. Uh, no, no, no. Surely not that. <laughs> Let's just go. Uh, ooh, ooh, it's good, boys. Ooh, we good tonight, boys. <laughs> it's frame rate, so we are allowed to spoil our feelings, right? Like, it's not. I don't know. You guys. No, yeah, I mean, we Do can we hype the, how we feel. The about way it? I see this. It's not like next... one ups. It's thoroughly not a review. So we can spill right. it. It's a good movie. Boom, right. bingo. If that's all you cared about, you can get the fuck out right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I like to think of the next 60 minutes as just jazz. It's just gravy. <laughs> it's man but, friend gravy. But yep. we should do our diligence and tell people who just, you know, just this turned on for. This is Frame Rate. Well, it's the show where we rate frames. I am Abe Epperson. I'm Frame the Swaim. James. Ooh, yeah. And we are joined together today with one of our favorite guests. Oh, thank you. I'm Adam Ganser, master of frames. More than a guest, really. I mean, let's drop the pretense. If people have navigated to our SoundCloud and then the frame rate playlist and they only listen to frame rate, that's the only way they would consider Adam a guest. But sure, (laughs) maybe that person exists. Hey, yeah, Adam. he's 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 hey. he's a part of the program. That's he's, right. He's a director he's piece, as, as big as you can get. He's an is me. Wow, we got this hype. Wow, I mean, you're number three, wow. baby. You're number wow. three. Number three. You're the biggest mm-hmm. bean there is, I think. Mm. Um, but today we're covering Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Hard left turn and into format. Let's do it. W- yeah, because I want to explain why Adam is here, not as like a co-host of like Escape from the Multicurs, but rather as a guest. Because this is once again a pick the flick tier from the Small Beans Patreon. What that means is that there is a tier that you can pledge patronize us on on that website called the Pick the Flick tier, which Very Baked Potato has done for us today, and what. What you can do is you basically can suggest some movies for us to cover and we will do a frame rate and you can request guests. Uh, today we are joined by Adam because Very Baked Potato requested both this movie and this man. That's, so that's here the name we of the go. person that asked? Very Baked The potato? requested man. We have yeah. produced yeah. him for you. <laughs> we have done it, Very Baked Potato. <laughs> Fallen right into a trap. Um... And I'm I'm on a personal note, A, that used to be off and it's back on now. So some of our regular supporters who used to hog the slot, just be aware that slot is there for you to hog, you little slot piggies. Um, yeah. <laughs> and great pick to welcome back the pick the flick category and great guest pick. Uh, I think that is well paired. Uh, mm. I don't, we don't have to do any segments, right? That's what I love. No, about we show. just, just well, reform, the right? first thing we do is we start this jazz by throwing it over to Adam and yeah. saying, what do you think this movie, when did you see it? What are your mm. thoughts on like, what does it mean to you? Yeah, yeah. And then that will usually yeah. jump starts the convo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so great. I'm that. happy to do that. So I saw this movie right when it came out in the theater which coincidentally was right around the time that Abe and I had been let go of Cracked. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I don't know how much that colors my opinion of it. I just know that I was very much ready for like an afternoon in the theater, not thinking about my problems. Like I was mm-hmm. very much in that space when this came out. This was right. like one of the only times I've ever seen a movie where like we're bringing this old franchise back and it was every bit as good as I had hoped. 
Like I, I don't mm-hmm. get invested in reboots, you know, uh, or in like really delayed sequels because I think there's something magic about a movie and it's time. And I think it's really hard to, especially when there's been a long delay for a movie to come back and recapture that. Um, but I think Denis Villeneuve is one of the best working filmmakers right now, if not the best working filmmaker right now. He's very, very good. Um, mm. he, is a, he is a magician with framing. And uh, this is one of those rare movies where I think just the way it looks is so enrapturing that uh, everyone who sees it wants to forgive any flaw because it's just like, my God, when will I see a movie that looks like this again? And the answer to that is Dune uh, or, you know, the next Denis Villeneuve <laughs> yeah. movie because he's very good. Um, yeah, it's so good, man. I love it. I think the casting is great. I think the, the vibe of it is Gansey all the way through. Like, I love the noir, I love the darkness, I love the unstated everything. I love the hard cuts to new scenes. I love the the barely musical score by Hans Zimmer. It's all, it's everyone working at peak performance. Uh, I have complaints about the movie. I'll say them as we go along. But, um, I yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you want out of a reboot, out of a sci-fi noir story, out of a futuristic cinematic outing uh it just delivers in every way but also i'll just say this last thing i don't care about action this movie doesn't have a lot of action in it and i don't care about that because action doesn't get me into the theater um so if you were looking for a thriller in that way it's not that uh it's very it's a much thoughtful a slow noir burn. yeah it's a slow burn where noir. Yeah. maybe there's chasing and like the the thrill of it is the is the case and the also truth. don't get us wrong man the the times that Joe does suddenly surgically shoot three dudes in the chest, it's cool as hell, and mm-hmm. just like everything has been, it's just barely any of the screen time is fighting. Like the final, like almost every movie like this in the third act resolves in some kind of punch him up. But so well, the true, love, yeah, fight and love has to happen, of course. Right, right, right. Sort of true to uh, the original Blade Runner, the final fight sequence is actually very intimate. It's not a big sprawling thing, even though they've made a big sprawling world. It's like very much a one-on-one without all the flair of a cinematic one-on-one like John Woo would do or something. Um, Anyway, I think this is amazing. I think the right people have been remembered for this. Like Roger Deakins is sort of the big star of it in some ways. And I think he should be. His work here is otherworldly. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I echo uh, I echo what Adam said. Villeneuve is so good at isolation and loneliness across all of his projects. You know, like Dune's there, but like I'm thinking like Prisoners, yep. Sicario. Yep. Uh, like, for example, in this movie, Anna de Armas, when uh, she's introduced, not arriving until halfway through that conversation. The shots themselves are like voyeuristic but also static. He's got this great way of filling the frame with both noise and silence. It's always messy, but it's always like stale. And he's got a specific brand of anxiety and tension because he, like you mentioned with the lack of action, it's almost always quiet, but then a suddenly eruptive. And he likes to dwell on the moments before and after, not as much during, like look at how he shows uh, at the first scene, Bautista die. Uh, Gosling gets the gun we see him shoot we hear a thud it's that kind of approach that really 
Villeneuve is completely interested in. And um, I think it pays off. I think it's right down uh, all three of our alleys just because like that's the kind of thing. That's why we're in in mm-hmm. in it for stories. You know what you got, Swam? Well, first of all, this is not a director piece theater. You're both bringing intense director piece theater energy. Yeah, so someone's got to say some yeah. crazy shit because this is a frame rate. So I guess it falls to me. Um, but it's all crazy shit that I actually believe. So here we go. This will dice it up. Um, first of all, I also saw this movie right when it came out, which was right around the time I quit cracked because no one dumps me. No one. Um, <laughs> oh, except my first wife. Uh, but, uh, I she, will just say, she stole it's that not, slot. it's not up my alley. I don't like Denis Villeneuve or I, that's how I've learned to say it. I think Villeneuve. Sicario, boring, dude, oh. super boring, arrival, oh. so boring. Um, Blade Runner, the original Ridley Scott movie, way overrated and boring, but dude, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, Prisoners is super good. And then, yes. the, and then the other place where we agree is, I don't know. I do Got know, him. and I want to talk about the differences, um, but Blade Runner 2049 is like a fucking untouchable masterpiece that's so good that it makes the, or the Ridley Scott Blade Runner like way better. The parts of lore that it adds slight shades to the original. I'm like, now mm. I even, it's a sequel so good. It makes me like the original, which I thought was stupid and boring my whole life. Like wow, I, ju- I just think of the original Blade Runner as like incredible set deck, nothing to say uh, and boring. And this was not, this is slow, but it is not boring. It is staggeringly compelling and beautiful. And then I really think, I think it's a script issue. So for me, when we get to like Dune and stuff, it's becoming so minimalist that I'm like, yeah, it's a gray orb in front of a gray field for 45 seconds. It's just, there's a point where it's too (laughs) slow to me. And Blade Runner 2049, Mm, it's the sweet spot. It's like Denis Villeneuve and I just don't jam on our internal clock, but this one I do. It's right at the edge, like uh, mm. like Kubrick. Like 2001 is right on the edge for me, where it's so slow that I know a lot of people think it is boring. For me, it's right inside right. bounds where I don't think it's boring. If it was 10% slower, I would think it's boring, and that's just a personal thing, right? That's just taste, baby. Yeah. yeah. No, that's it's right. Uh, <clears throat> I mean... Also, doesn't the message, like the the narrative of it all, that gets oh, you, the right? story of this kicks ass too. No, I think it rules on every level. Yeah. I'm reminded of the Akira episode we covered recently where I'm like, man, this is like a sci-fi. I didn't even appreciate it enough. It's so good. Um, I do want to ask Adam, because yeah. I know already, and I heard in his tone that it's still true. Um, what's the juicy joy? And Abe, speak to this, of course. I'm sure you probably also can. Um, juicy joy. With like Dune. Uh, uh, yeah. or is it just that it's, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, is there I ever do. a time I do. where you watch Dune? Are there any sequences where you're like, okay, this is slow enough that I'm bored. Or are you always like, nah, I'm on board for this. Well, let me, I, so let me put a little twist on everything I've said so far. I think Blade Runner 2049 has pacing problems. Like, I think it's too mm. slow in general. Um, I don't, I don't think all the rest of the films you mentioned are too slow. Uh, but Blade Runner, for me, for whatever reason, it is a little slower. Dune has the problem of not being a movie, like not really being a full movie. It's half of a movie. 
Um, and by that, I mean it's half of a story arc, and you can feel the half of a story arc. And so you start to get anxious because it's not going anywhere fast enough. Like, it's mm. a script plotting issue. And, like, the movie ends on what is very clearly the midpoint of a story. It does not feel complete. Um, that's the problem I have with Dune. I think the world and sort of the the almost the opaque way that Denis Villeneuve sort of explains things by showing but not totally expositing. He's so good at that. He doesn't have the characters in an Aaron Sorkin movie like explain. Well, his characters are also restrained and not like a bullion with character, which is a which is a choice that I totally respect, but it can risk feeling sterile but i don't even think he's averse to sterility like dune in some places feels like he does want you to go i'm like i'm i feel like i'm in a museum looking at an looking at art right now and he's like yeah i know i think that is beautiful i think in that movie (laughs) that is half of it half of it is like just look at this it It looks really cool yeah yeah i did it i did it soak it up you know like there is a little bit of that vibe to it and i'm not saying that dune is a good movie in the way that Blade Runner 2049 is a good movie I think Dune is a spectacular movie for enjoying the art of cinema visually it's so good at that like it's one of the greats in that way but as a story I color control Jesus and the art design and everything else Uh, but I I feel like I'm clouding out poor Abe who I'd love to hear his response to that well yeah I mean like it's like with the pacing issues, I'm not so bothered by the pacing. I mean, I do admit <laughs> it's given slow. my rate of speech. <clears throat> yeah, but like, um, and with Dune, I, I mean, I agree with what everyone's saying. Uh, Dune, any Dune is good Dune to me, just because <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, Dune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that kind of affects my version of it. Uh, Blade Runner, man. Uh, the I kind of agree with what Mike said. I think it improves the original. I think he's a perfect choice. He was a he was the perfect choice to direct Blade Runner, because what give what really Scott wanted to do is he wanted to take this enormous world and make it immensely personal and human, and that's exactly what that's what Villeneuve does every fucking movie yeah, right he's really good like at that. this movie's about how we're slaves to work in like order like order or belief that there's a system that slavery is needed uh specifically and that is like a very personal and the way that he does that for like Anna to Armas uh with uh the dream doctor with you know K slash Joe they're all somehow you see how they're all like imprisoned and that's he like that is something that really scott did but not every director really treats it the same way that villeneuve does here and that's what makes blade runner 2049 a banger to me i guess what's interesting about blade runner is a lot of times you don't like you never get the scene where somebody's conclusion or the thing they're observing about uh, whatever, their investigation or like even what we're supposed to learn from this character we met. Like you never get the scene after where the character processes what they've learned. Like K is almost mm-hmm. entirely nonverbal. And, but what Vinoy is so good at doing is bringing all the emotional subtext to the surface through framing and through acting choices. And mm-hmm. it's enough 
to not always necessarily pinpoint exactly what happened, but to get the sense of why it matters. Like the why of his scenes is always present, even if the what isn't always present. Uh, yeah, there's well, there's just one. I just want to mention one thing because we've all kind of given like, what do you have a problem with it? Or is it like a perfect film? I do actually find myself after seeing a lot more of his films. Like I don't love Ryan Gosling in this, in every role he does. Well, it's specifically a lot of roles, uh, you know, like he does this thing where he's like stoic and unaffected. Uh, driver comes to mind. Yep. This comes to mind. Yep. There's a few Try. indies that he's worked on where he's this kind of like, yeah, he's just kind of statuesque, which I think is a great choice to be in a care as a character. I think it works kind of for driver, I guess, because he wants so hard into it drive. I don't like that movie because I don't think that that movie connects. You hate drive so much. It's the I same as Mandy. It's just eye candy, which it's is just fine I, if you like yeah. just that. But that's I, not. The a, I, I, I'm gonna go the, ahead and just it feels disagree like the, with that. But I'm leaving it out. That's fine. That's fine. We don't need to talk yeah, yeah, about yeah. drive. Uh, but like here, like that, it's like made up of its genetics. Here, it's like it's not necessary. In fact, it's kind of actually the opposite that he's overwhelmed with his senses like that's what's going on in his brain there's once or twice where he's like once when he's talking to the dream doctor dr sue something i forget uh the character you know uh spoilers the you know the special the special girl so, yeah no the i thought it was and yeah celine yeah you're right um that's this the daughter of rachel right right yeah um, she's yeah. the baby we've all been looking for and she was the one who verifies for yeah. him that this is a real memory um and he takes that because based off just like us, uh, which is a great film noir thing to do, that that extension of that p fact leads to new information or the, the, the conclusion of which is that K is a real boy when in fact he is not. Um, but for most of the picture, he believes interestingly, he is. the uh, twist that I super wanted to happen. I think a lot of people were expecting in another notable sci-fi IP star Wars and the last Jedi, where they're like, uh, you're nothing. You're not a right, Skywalker. You're, you're just a guy. The, everyone thought that was early. I feel like most sophisticated storyteller. What lovers were like, that's good. That's cool. Uh, and then they took it back of course. And she is the special boy. So cool that this fulfills that promise. The, yeah. and it's very noir because ultimately in noir, you are always, you're not the case. You're the detective. Right. And you're the sort observer. Of loses side of that. You're correct. the sad observer on the outside of a tragic situation. And yeah. this literally ends with the guy like looking at her through a bubble. I know I'm transferring it to Harrison Ford now, but of course he was the protagonist in the first one. And I just love the idea that uh, in both cases now, because this one kind of retroactively implies it about Harrison Ford, who gave up the daughter and stepped aside. The whole point is like history is happening and you're not the special boy. That's the revelation. That's, that's just that's fresher. A, it's cool. <laughs> can I, and that's in Sicario. That's like, I don't know that Villeneuve does that. So it's a, theme theme. It's, it's sure. a theme messiness. I want to say something about Ryan Gosling. Cause he's a really interesting movie star. Like he is a movie star. Mm -hmm. He's not an actor, you know, uh, yeah. he has a brand, but 
in a way, like he's one of the least accessible movie stars emotionally that we've ever demanded be the hunk in lots and lots of movies. And yeah. I go back to the movie Lars and the Real Girl because I think that's the movie where they channeled what his inner life is in a way that was external enough for people to get it. And that is, mm -hmm. this is a guy who does not know how to properly emote. He doesn't know how to express his feelings and he's very stilted. That's kind of the thing that Ryan Gosling like almost always comes back to as a character, like not as a person, as a character, as a character actor, he, like, he takes parts like that where the person is right. not allowed to express things. It is Brandon. Yeah. Yeah. And he plays it he well. Plays it I mean, well. I'm not saying I don't like it because he isn't a good actor. No, no, of course. He's very, he's a great actor. It's just a matter of like, I'm, I want to see it stretch, but I guess that that's a lot. Well, I just want to mention a, a couple star. movies where I think that he was really well cast for using that well. Lars and the Real Girl is my mm -hmm. favorite, but also Crazy Stupid Love. Not a great movie, but mm -hmm. he is well cast in it because he has to find a way to be vulnerable with a care with a type that is absolutely against that. Um, and he's great in that for that reason. I, I think I, one of my favorite performances of his to me is the nice guys yeah. where he goes against this very type. And that's why it was satisfying to me. Kind of like Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder. You're like, Oh, there's a character actor in there. Well, do that more that's more interesting you know but that's you know these are just the wants and uh desires of some random yuck yuck on the internet so Con who cares contrasting him with uh deckard right that's the name of the mm -hmm. uh yeah so like i uh, think yeah. back on blade runner the original which by the way mike i just want to say i also think blade runner has been uh worshipped on a level that it doesn't deserve as a story. Also, by the way, not overrated. Like it's terrible at no, all. No, it's great. It's just overrated. It's like a it's good a classic. It's a good movie that everyone thinks is one of the all-time greatest movies yes. of all time, and I just I don't buy it. It's a really well-made uh, standard noir story. Mood with a piece. Twist. Yeah, yeah. It's more mood piece than anything else. What's interesting is Harrison Ford in that movie, like from a casting point of view he actually adds more humanity to it than anybody else. Even right. though I think we decided, I think basically then the way I've decided he is a robot, right? Like, is that, uh, they, I looked into this. It is widely yeah, disagreed same. by everyone. Still. Even the Ridley people Scott. on the crew disagree and have agreed yeah. that that's okay. Okay. That they don't have to agree. No one has to agree. <laughs> right. Well, that, it's, it was not the only one clear delineation is in the book. The original source, it was pretty clear that he was human. Dude, which is human. why it's I so see. poignant. And I feel like Denise sets Ford up for such success because it's just like the classic, what is it, Eisenstein who, or whoever was like, yeah, editing and framing just does all the, that's the heavy lifting for the Zertov. actor. Yeah, yeah, it makes you feel the, but like my point is, the whole machine conspires to make me think Harrison Ford is such a good actor in that moment where he just says, I know what's real. And the yellow light yeah. comes up and then dims down as his face mm. just does like acty face. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> it's so whoa. What's interesting is I feel like the way that the way that Ryan Gosling is playing his character actually undercuts to some degree the replicant feeling of Harrison Ford's performance in the and first I movie. And I think 
it almost forecasts the tragedy, which is why you feel melancholy the whole time. Dude, you're obviously a robot. Look at you. Yeah, look how you, you just are. are a robot. Right. I never thought for a second. Yeah, I remember the first time watching it when he got his hope up, hopes up. I remember thinking, oh, honey, you're not a human, though. You like you can just tell. So I, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're not <laughs> you the special can just boy. Tell by the look. <laughs> it yeah, does, yeah. It's right. It does make I mean, I think the movie is sort of <laughs> asking the question, like, would he be allowed to like, has he never allowed himself to be human? You know what I mean? Sort of like right. that's what makes because we haven't touched on like so interesting with yeah. his because she is allowing herself to be more than what she is from the jump. You're right. And, and she's passing. Yes. And they don't dig into in the specifics like you just watch it happen. But like in a way, it's almost glossed over because they're focused on now robots can reproduce, apparently. But what I'm saying is I think it's an equally big deal. That the new brand of robot that they're like, this one literally is hardwired to have no free will and can't disobey, organically is starting to disobey mm -hmm. in a very human way. Just because it's learning that it's being ripped off, that it's being oppressed, that the system's a sham, and being given hope that it may have a soul, that it could mm -hmm. be a human. Um, just the belief that it's human is enough placebo effect to make the robot break its programming and transcend its programming. That's a powerful statement in and of itself, which like you said, they just let happen. No one says, which I is brave. Most movies, like almost all would have a character go, look at you. You're disobeying right now. Doesn't that transcend your programming? You know what I mean? They never even bring it up everyone just does what they need to do and gets off stage i, feel I like, like that a lot i feel like nobody in this world wants to get involved in anybody else's shit really or like, philosophy that's or talk well about it. <laughs> that's kind of the vibe of this world and that's what is actually interesting about it is like everyone kind of has their head down like everybody except the freedom fighters shit sucks but they're underground Davis and uh batista yeah who says like Straight up, relevant to what Mike just said, there's a quote at the beginning of the movie. You don't run because you've never seen a miracle. Yeah, I love that line. Um, which is a great line, and it's kind of what we're saying. It's just that you, you it's nature versus nurture, right? Uh, and that's what the movie's saying, is that you can't have like a corrupt, slavery-indebted system and not expect some freedom fighters. You're going to get it. it <laughs> even on the robot side. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get replicants doing it. Yeah, yeah. And you're going to get humans doing it because uh it's unjust it's unjust. Yeah. It's interesting because uh like I feel like this movie does point at really profound questions and is is certainly exploring one specific profound question which is like what are what is the actual final line between artificial life and real organic life right like what's the final line there and shows yeah. an interesting place like uh reproduction is an, is an interesting dividing line but like it's really more interested it feels like in implying stuff but never really saying anything right like if the movie's not profound it's not making a profound statement really it's just sort of like gliding through all these issues and letting you decide Right. Yeah, I yes. think that that's what and, a good movie does. And too. it's an exercise in sheer beauty, as we've alluded to repeatedly. But it reminded me of a good what we love about a good Star Trek episode, uh, including that it did have uh, 
you know, that scene where they do argue the philosophy, his commandant or whatever says, I've never, he says, I've never retired something that was born. Being born means you have a soul. Are you saying no to me? I wasn't aware that was an option. Good. Anyway, you get along fine with oh, right? what a soul. Yeah. 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 So um, the robots data style, I might add, uh, inherently want to be equals. And to them, that means being quote unquote real human, which is defined by having a soul. And, uh, my point is that they do have characters say it out loud. Like that is Sometimes. the one time, yeah. but it's so light compared to, you know, like Star Trek would have a conference room scene where they're like, do you see what, <laughs> do you see the philosophy we're doing here? And so, yeah, I think it's, I don't think a movie has to do that or Abe said something to that effect or like, but it's a powerful move. It, like I do love just dropping some right. truth on the table and being like, you figure it out like totally valid. Cause in the end, none of us knows the answer. Right. Well, and so, they also bury you're allowed those, to do that. They bury that stuff in contradictory con like context. Like for instance, Robert Robin Penn's character is almost never compassionate. Robin, Wright. She's yes. Rob, sorry. Robin, Robin, Wright, Right. Uh, she's almost never compassionate, and she, but she tends tends to be the voice of the human point of view in the philosophical dialogue with Kay. Yeah, and she's almost never has any compassion or interest in anything other than her own well being. And well, they almost all could be robots, which is right. part of it, right? Like a right. shitty existence in this post apocalypse does suppress your ability to be human. And I would argue. Extent. The least human person there is in this movie is Jared Leto's character, uh, right, of course. Neander Wallace, the who, big bad. Yeah, I mean, I guess he's the big bad. He, but he isn't really. He's just dude. A guy. He scalpel kills that naked lady for no reason. Oh, like, I agree. To me, That's I gotta terrible. say that was the probably the least fresh thing in the movie is that I agree. Your, your villain introduction is he just kills someone just to show you. Oh, I guess that's the villain. But but anyway. he's like he's not. Like, yeah, I thought he was a creation more of vibe than of, like, actual... Oh, he's got great vibe. But there's no, sure. like, he doesn't feel as grounded in the world as anything else in it. Like, even though no, he... No, he's, he's, like, in his tower pontificating the evil point of view, like Mr. Burns. Yeah. Yeah, in a way that feels like even the Tyrell version of it in the previous movie felt more connected to the world he was in. Um, it's it's one right. of my points of contention. I feel like he's hey, more like a pharaoh I... at the top of the pyramid, just being like progress demands sacrifice. No, dog. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean he, dog. It's a commentary. It's, it's he's it's a tech bro energy dog. dude. Like that's exactly what this <laughs> that is. That doesn't he's... make it interesting. I see the Villeneuve. metaphor. Well, it's an update though. It's an update of what what are the abilities and behaviors of the uh, of the people in power right now, and that and society has changed from 1985. Villeneuve knew instinctively to cast Jared Leto as a cult leader because that's because that's the that's the sickness right and now. What he the is. religion of yes men. He surround <laughs> himself. And Leto did that. Right. He was like in interviews, he talked about, oh yeah, I based it off. Like I have friends who are like this and which is hilarious that that's true. You know, Good friends, um, close friends, best friends. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm going <laughs> to go ahead so, and argue that this, his depiction is not grounded in actual cult leader vibes or 
it's really more of a fantasy of what we think those kinds of people are like. It feels that could be. It feels that could. Be. He feels like a movie monster compared to everything else. Well, yeah, he does have the vibe where it's like Hannibal Lecter is so smart and imposing, and you're like in real life, serial killers are mostly dummies with poor impulse control. Right. And I think similarly, he feels like if Elon Musk was super smart and menacing, and we've just seen. Elon Musk is not menacing. No, uh, he's Jeff a moron. Bezos is right. not threatening exactly. to be around. They're goobers. <laughs> they're just—they're only powerful because everyone's. They agreed, are wrecking the world. Agreed though. that they're powerful. Like it's all right. this. Uh, yeah, it's all this sort of invisible. But nod, what's wrong know? with like Darth Vader is, or I would just say a noir sci-fi like a dark-clad corporate evil is totally appropriate There's for what the movie's nothing about. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, There's nothing I mean, wrong with it. He's but, a, uh, but. As a, everything else in this movie feels grounded in one sort of emotional reality. And I'm, the only thing I'm even arguing for here is I think Jared Leto's character, while cool and fun in a mm. fantastical way, is grounded in a different reality. And it's fine. He's not as plugged in or woven into the story in a way that I did notice. He's just in his little bubble. Which is odd. And it's, it's just separate. You can explain it. You can write up an explanation. You can like it. But I think... Uh, when I watch it, I feel like, yeah, that isn't the version that would come from this world, I don't think. That's my objection to it, is I feel like it's discordant with the world that they're in. But I've said that, so yeah, I can move on. I don't. That's fine. I Yeah, I, I don't. I think that, like, you, you, pre- you set it up so it's like, you can think this, you can think this, but you can't think that. And I disagree. You can think that. <laughs> I think it does come of the world because it's a totalitarian regime. It's born of the same stuff that Blade Runner was born of, which is the Stalins mm-hmm. and the, you know, tyrants. It's still that character. And yes, we've seen tech bros like... We've seen like the kitten paws of people like Elon Musk and Bezos, but like we've never seen a tyrant that is also those things. It's it is a little bit fantasy, In history? but it absolutely mean- comes from the world. Yeah, it's, well, it's a thing that way, we will see you know, before we it's, die. It's I think a, it's, it's a nightmare prophetic. version of humanity. It's it's a version yeah, of humanity. But as is most of that's it, like, all. The yeah. red smog drowning the giant concrete ziggurat that is the LAPD yeah, is yeah. also a, a dark fantasy heightened version. But again, of I didn't. Is... I didn't say it wasn't artistic or that it was bad. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't yeah. tell me. I'm gonna tell I you. Can't think I'm gonna keep telling you. I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, you right now. You make it seem. Um, you and make we haven't it seem even like <laughs> touched on uh, joy, potentially one of the saddest doomed love stories depicted in film ever. Like tragic beyond yeah. measure. Um, definitely or you know up there with that Futurama dog episode or like the most pity I've felt for a robot more than AI for sure (laughs) I the more times under a boot the more times I watch the this movie's version of AI trying to use a human body for sex the more I think that Mm -hmm. this this is an important moment in a movie like this idea and the way they executed it of like her sort of almost almost sinking with a human being and it almost feeling like an actual person, her almost being able to be both human and artificial. Right. Like at times it almost was sexy. And then there were times it was like, you could tell. No, no absolutely. It was great, and that's, you know, 
Villeneuve's so good because he actually found there's one moment where you can tell that he intended yeah. where for like a single frame it it's perfect. Yep. Right. Yeah. Well, and then every other mm. frame is slightly adjusted and uncanny. Value. So I don't know which way to go because I also want to talk about. Yeah, he he comes up with which is huge in sci-fi. I think for film especially, some conceptual effects that are new effects you've never seen before. But I just have to say because it's so appropriate. Uh, flash forward to the last line in the screenplay. I love first lines and last lines that hit hard. Last line of the screenplay is Staline, and because she's just like waiting, but like you know, it obviously is intentional. The double meaning. She says. And she's looking like snowflakes or some shit. So something inherently yep. transient and says, just a moment. Beautiful, isn't it? So like an immediate primal appeal to it's God. All this shit's been horrible. We live in a horrible world. Like we could be killed tomorrow. All you have is the moment. And in this moment, Harrison Ford is meeting his daughter for the first time. Cut to credits. But like the fact that the last line is beautiful moment, isn't it? I don't know. It just speaks to. I think all throughout the movie, uh, transience, impermanence, and fleeting moments. Because, right, it's a sad, sad world. They live in a sad boohoo, yeah, it's really very grim, butthurt yeah. apocalypse I mean, that's... world. But the redemption is, and it's depicted throughout in a bunch of different really beautiful ways. There's moments. That's all you get is a moment, but it's nice. That, you're, li <laughs> you're literally saying the tears of the in the rain monologue from Rudger Howard, mm. like sure, that, and yeah. that's why I think it's Say great. It's on theme once again in terms of an up uh, update. That's about rain, right? About and you you nailed your it. emotion that's what that is means. fleeting. It's washed away. The update, yeah, is snow because that's a great update to rain. It has same qualities, made it literally the same stuff, but product of a cold, barren environment. Yeah, one in which has been taken over by totalitarianism and brutalism. It's a very cool metaphor, really in my opinion. This yeah. movie is also. also uh, oh, go ahead. I I just have a dumb bit. Uh, th this movie is also beginning an erotic revolution of tall women. Uh, every oh, every yeah, advertisement yeah. is a gigantic woman. I mean, and uh, oh, you just mean like the ads, like the Lady Dimitrescu yeah. size yes. step on me, or women, times yeah. ten. Uh, yeah, 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 the yeah. step on me, the Russian ballet began here. Yeah, <laughs> people. Yeah, the giant ballet. It didn't begin here. Yeah. Uh, Attack of the fifty foot woman and all that, but like yeah. it absolutely invigorated. Yeah. It. So another thing and, you know, people love about noir and this IP specifically, right, is they shine a flashlight through the haunted house, but they leave a lot of corners unilluminated, intentionally so. And the big one, of course, is is Deckard a replicant? And then in this one is K a replicant. They answer one, but not the blah, 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 blah. My point is, uh, it's prone to like the formation of cool pop culture conspiracy theories. And I thought of one this time, and I'm wondering if I'm dumb and everyone thought of this or you guys thought of this, but I feel like Staline was positioned by the freedom movement as a memory maker so that she can surreptitiously sow real human memories into the replicants that are produced because as she said, quote, real human memories beget real human behaviors. So I think like even beautiful, more beautifully and fittingly, her role in the cycle of freedom is like, she's the one who's actually sowing the idea of, disobeyance into the new series replicants by giving them human memories. That's the actual glitch in the system. That is. Yeah. And that would mean that like 
you know, both metaphorically and literally, she gives robots hope in terms to of rise up. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So I, I cool. love that. And then no I one don't even, even think that's a conspiracy. implying that or mentioning it. It just is true. I love it's, that. It's a, like, it's a thing you, you have to think together. hard to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They don't need to resolve it. They're just like, you know, if you think hard enough, the, the, the dots get connected. You can connect the dots yeah, and they're even cooler than you thought. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I don't even think it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's intentional yeah. because the whole thing with miracles that they, they're discussing, like the whole point of the movie is like, or of that scene is that it's all in the mind's eye in this movie. Gosling picks up a flower after he hears that at the base where it's where we find Rachel's bones, you know, like they're yeah. all. Like a noir, it's one piece of information just serendipitously turns into a new piece of information to give you a, a, a better version of the whole. And the flower is intentionally in this dead wasteland near uh, Dave Bautista's home. It's a fleeting and the moment miracle of beauty, physical that it represents is that Rachel's pregnancy with Rick Deckard. Yep. So birth from like barrenness. this immaculate android conception is a concept. It's a belief that could happen. Yeah. And it's how revolutions start. And speaking and that's of the immaculate miracle. conception, of course, it's got to be like beyond intentional, right? But it's an immaculate conception. His name is Joe because he's fucking Joseph as in, and that's a broadcast yep. of the twist as well. Yeah. He's the one who attends the birth of the Messiah child, but he did not actually do he the impregnating, do which I that's love clever. the implication yeah. of that. Cause then when he meets Harrison Ford and says, and Deckard says, who, why are you helping me? Who am I to you? Uh, well, you're God. <laughs> you, you gave birth to the Messiah yeah. child. You are God, Harrison Ford <laughs> in this franchise, yeah. you know? In this franchise, yeah. yeah, you are God. <laughs> I love that. I love the. Uh, I love Elvis. the behind the scenes lore stuff. But I gotta, I gotta make the Elden Ring point here, which is that that stuff is very cool. Like the the you have to connect. Though. Oh, and you don't. You know, I mean, like it's. Right. I think that it's fun when a movie has meaning that if you liked it already, you want to go investigate and find it, and that that is a thing in cinema in our time that was less true in previous generations that is a good thing uh but i still it's definitely a trademark of blade runner the first i think it's one a trademark it of a lot of uh blockbuster movies now too where like you mm -hmm. know there's connections you can make even emotional ones or thematic ones if you want to investigate it but i still think the primary experience has to be engaging for you to do that you know, yes, emotionally uh, you have to be led. And in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault somebody who showed up to this movie and said this is a little bit boring. And then when you make all these connections, feels a little bit like, yeah, so, you know what I mean? Like I, I, yeah, I understand no, that. I, I get it. Um, and yet it's heartbreaking. Or like I could totally validly imagine someone going. Yeah, it's a big red field in the next scene. It's all purple in the next scene. It's all yellow. I get it or whatever. And I'd Meat. be like, yeah. <laughs> do you know how hard, how many people <laughs> to make that right. image? To it's me, so to beautiful it's, as a representation either, of human collaboration, if nothing else. Look at it. That, <laughs> I, I mean, it's so true. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And everyone should enjoy movies and how they enjoy movies. They, I just... It, when it comes down to it, it's just like, how can you not be romantic about metaphor? Like 
the one that I picked up that's real short, like everything in this movie for the first like two acts is all overhead cameras or emitters. Yep. There's drone cameras. The yep. city has towers that loom over the rest. There's a scene with a medical camera literally inspecting bones of a pregnant replicant. Like, yeah. how do you not see that this is a dissection of what we are as if viewed from God? Why would it not be in a control? So if, if this movie is a controlled experiment... It is the Luma, the Ludo narrative is like on point that gets me real hard for movies, but I understand that sometimes people are going to a movie because they're like, that's awesome. That the shark just ate the cook, you know. Like, well, I think but, I actually would that say kind of look, we've all seen Citizen Kane, but yeah, I love, I love yeah. Citizen Kane. <laughs> I I would say this is one of those movies where, like, I am a little bit suspicious of. Um, of the exuberance that people like us have for it because I think on an objective level it's not like the most engaging film like it has a little bit of a like I said and yet there's moments that I feel like we are underserving how much some parts actually kick ass like talk about a metaphor for fleetingness but also a kick-ass sequence the fight in the Vegas hollow theater again an effect that I've not only never seen accomplished in a film, I've never seen anyone uh, try to uh, achieve that concept that you're fighting in the midst of like a, a holodeck that is shorting in and out. That is both also a throwback to a simpler time, right? So it's like we as a culture trying to hold on to a single moment and make it live forever. And it's shorting out. So you're only seeing tiny slivers of that tiny moment while they're fucking having an awesome shootout where sometimes it's really loud and sometimes it's sudden silence. Like to me, the math of how that sequence was devised to make, you know, like, oh, if it's a holodeck shorting out, it can go loud, quiet, loud. Like that's as clever as the velociraptors in the kitchen to me. And again, I know we've all seen It's a Wonderful Life, but these sequences hold up for a reason. <laughs> Uh, what were you saying, Adam? I, I agree 100% with <laughs> I don't agree with that particular sequence, but I, I do cool. think it's cool. Uh, I think, oh, like, did you I, not? Or I didn't what, think it was tense. Sorry, you go say what you want to say, but I'm like, you that sequence didn't blow your no, mind. No, it didn't blow it really my mind. Did get me. I okay. thought it was amazing looking. I think a lot of times with this movie, it's so impressive visually that it makes it wins you over with, uh, like stuff that is sort of run of the mill. Like I think that shootout's a little run of the mill, honestly. Like I don't think that there's a particularly creative action sequence done here. I think the visualization of the world they're in is really great. You know what I mean? That's accurate. But it's not. Sure. It's no yeah. John Wick scene. You know what I mean? Like it's not that. Like John Wick is the. It is on the vibe level. In fact, it literally oh, yeah. reminded me of that. But yes, not on the mechanics level or clarity. Well, or and that's where the tricky part. Intricacy. That's the tricky thing about this movie. And I'm only I'm I'm being a little bit of a devil's advocate because I also love the movie. But I do think that I think that the filmmaker in me loves it more than the movie watcher in me loves it. Like I think there is a legitimate sort of like pushing back on. Yeah, those metaphors are interesting because the film is actually pushing you to think about it in the abstract and not always have a visceral emotional reaction to it. Like it is yeah. actually intellectualized a bit, which appeals to those of us yeah. who think about film that way. And sci-fi fans lean that way already. Yes. But I, um, it's just a spectrum. Like I, totally I agree. do think it's not invalid for someone to say, uh, 
it's a or like I feel like we're beating around the bush of saying it's a little pretentious, like art house pretentious. He kind of is. Well, and, it's pretentious you know, in a and so was Blade Runner. Way. So are we? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. why we like it totally. <laughs> but that's this. That's the brand. The brand is pretentious. It's Blade Runner. <laughs> Tears in the rain, motherfucker. I never thought that. Uh, that's not true. I've always thought Blade Runner was pretentious. I don't think the Blade Runner thinks it's pretentious though. This movie, I think, does know that it's a little pretentious. Like I, and I think that's good. Yeah, because I think it's aping yeah. and it's aping a quality of the yeah. first. I think Ridley Scott does have that problem. I mean, like, you know what's a perfect example of Ridley Scott and his like not inability to navigate this, but just like he's he's beholden by two masters. Gladiator, right? <laughs> so a, a classic that like honestly, we're still feeling the effects of his right. Uh, his imagination for action sequences and like how awesome Gladiator well, is in that. That's a good story. And it also is about like, it's also about like the internal politics of a political family, uh, a general dealing with the death of his uh, family. Like there's so many personal aspects about it too. I think that Ridley Scott, as he's always promised, does that kind of thing. I think Villeneuve is just like, well, I double down, like I kind of double down on that aspect of the filmmaking and the storytelling, you know, just like Michael Bay double downs downs on the, you know, the explosionness of it all. So I think that like, because it's a part of the brand, I don't think it's a bad thing to say that like, yeah, it's, it doesn't have all the action. Well, Blade Runner didn't either. Oh, you know, I'm, like, I'm what not is this brand? For really? I'm just sort of describing it. I think yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I also don't, I think Ridley Scott is generally better than being the way of, at making a film emotionally accessible to a broad audience. Um, not every time, mm-hmm. but like I would I think that's safe to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, but like, I don't, I think being the wave makes great films that I love, but I do think he, uh, he buries the emotions under, you know, sort of, uh, opaque characters and like, doesn't do the yeah. kind of handholding that like your standard Spielberg Lucas types would do. Like, he doesn't even cut between scenes where they drive to this place or that. He doesn't even do, like, processing stuff like that. He just, like, yeah, they're right. there, man. They're in, a, they're in a new frame, and you have just enough time to consider the frame before a dense line that you have to think about is uttered. Like, it's a very... He's a dense right. filmmaker. You know, there's not a lot like that. I mean, that. I think that's a that's post-cinema right Agreed. there. I mean, Nolan does that, too. J.J. Abrams does that, J. J. too. J.J. Abrams like, that's just what is we're... trying to make moreover actions and thrillers though like Vin the right. is successfully doing these these uh, opaque dense films um i think jj abrams is not trying to do it to the degree that he is doing it but mm-hmm. i mean you know, I, that's a bit of a critique i guess but that's how i feel about his film yeah no no, no that's yeah that's that's thumbs up thumbs down <laughs> baby um yeah the there's so much to love about each of these directors that we've named. Just the brand of mm-hmm. Villeneuve is like jives with me the most, I guess. Right. So I, I want to go back and like connect to the thing I was saying about Elden Ring really quick. And is, I'm not saying this because the audience that's going to listen to this podcast will agree with me. I know they won't. But I do think that sometimes it's good to remember that like there's a general audience who can't connect to this film. And so all these metaphors and stuff that are in the movie because we found them and because, you know, the filmmaker put them there, none of them are happening to the general audience. They're in not the getting brain any of, the... of them. Dude, right. 
Two-thirds of them would not have occurred to me unless I was doing the kind of close reading that I do because I'm about to do a podcast about it. Absolutely. Even though I care about movies a lot, I wouldn't try that hard unless I was about to do a podcast, you know? So it's uh, it's kind of a fool's errand. I do think I do think it behooves you to be even more engaged with your themes and even more thoughtful about your themes than whatever you're going to present. Right. Like, I think that's right. As an artist, it's not only rewarding in and of itself, but you should have thought about it harder than anyone who's going to watch it. That feels right. But, it, but there's also this part of like, well, if they're not even going to get it, that's why you, sometimes people who really are detail oriented, like I think all of us are to some degree, it's funny to hear the stories about people like Christopher Nolan with it changing from day to night as Batman goes through the tunnel. And this is a $200 million movie that everyone in the world's going to see. And he's like, they won't notice. <laughs> Who cares? And he's right. And he's right. Yeah, he's fucking he's, right. It makes you feel like I'm so pretend or like I should just get the stick out of my ass. Like, obviously, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I can't. Know, man. When it comes down to, like, you're right about all that stuff, but that's just an exercise in looking at other people and seeing what they bring to the table. I can't not be who I am, so I'm just going to do what I do, and that's all I can do. You oh, know I, what think I, mean? that's, I think that's so true. So I watch movies the way I watch movies, I think that's man. true, but I think, since we're all filmmakers, I mean, you two are literally going to make a film this year. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it is good to also investigate well, how much is this scanning for an audience? Like, is this actually a part of their experience or not? And I've done that. Um, but I think a director's True. always asking themselves that question because they have to. And what's interesting about Vin yeah. is I don't think he's necessarily interested in, uh, like, I think he really cares about the primary experience. But I think also he's satisfying himself with a lot of these artistic decisions that he doesn't think anybody's going to get. Like, I don't think this is James Joyce. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think this is sure. James Joyce's Ulysses. Where well, and, and Prisoners is straight up accessible popcorn And it's thriller. incredible. It's great. Incredible. Yeah, that's the other one you I know? love. Um, I also, but I do think it's interesting <laughs> to note that, and the audience evolves, right? That's like, true. Mm, there is a degree to which we're like, these hayseeds. Like, I know we're not trying to do that, but I just mean, it's notable that he was chosen to do Dune and they gave him all that money to do that. And people watch it. Like if you placed that aesthetic in the seventies, eighties, you know, I don't think it would get that much money. People would be like, this is too arch and hoity toity and minimalist and weird. Uh, no one wants this. So I do think I don't Dune. It was a success, right? Financially. They're making the second Wasn't part. It? I think you're yeah. making the second one. Yeah. So I didn't track the numbers, but I guess my point is, the fact that he must be accessible enough because he got Dune. Is that an argument I think that's they, valid? <laughs> I think they've been trying to make Dune for He's 50 won the years. Academy Awards. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think Dune is a, is a movie that Hollywood was determined to make Oh, we've been edging Dune. Dune's forever. just like right at the tip. Yeah. Right. And I think they, fi- <laughs> they finally felt like they had the guy who could do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. I think they do. I think too. they do too. Uh, but maybe I'm just a fanboy. I think Dune is a. It's one of those again. It's a sweeping epic that deals with personal kind of a uh, personal story. Um, that's hard to do, and not many can. But you know, he shown that he can. But, but I choose not to. Almost all, almost I all those sweeping to. epics turn out to be that though. 
Like that's the Lawrence of Arabia yeah, blueprint. That's part of it. You know? Well, you have to view Ooh. epic events Ooh, through baby. the human lens. That's the human condition, right? right? Let Let's talk about lean now. Yeah. <laughs> nah, I nah, fucking nah. love no, talking no, about no. David Someone's got to pay for that shit, yeah. dude. You got to wait. <laughs> got to wait. David Lean. Yeah. Uh, can I just briefly talk about a couple of director things here that I that I love? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I you I briefly you. mentioned this, but like, not enough time is spent on this in like even film criticism. The man, uh, the man cuts out transitions. This guy loves cutting out transitions. He's incredible at cutting off entrances and exits to scenes and just placing mm-hmm. you at the very last moment before the scene starts in almost every scene, which is the opposite of what you'll hear in any film school you go to, including the one I teach at. Like, they'll tell you, you got to film entrances and exits. You got to plan transitions. And this guy is mm-hmm. amazing at, no, you don't. I'm just going to put you in a, I'm going to put a medium shot of him in the next scene and you'll, and get, you'll it. get it. And it works every time. Um, I mean, that's the thing with creation, right? You do you, the re I'm glad those things are taught in me school. Too. It's you to know, save because your ass. it's how do you do it cleanly? How do you, what is the system that allows our brain to be tricked to be like, I'm in this reality. He is just so adept at that, that he's like, I know when I can break the system and get away with it. And that's, that's the signal of a true genius. Yeah, I you think know? that's right. I also want to say, I think he has meaning in the color system he chose. I read a bunch of color theory for this that I was like ready to come here with it. Uh, I didn't read anything that was like, yeah, I agree with that. But I do, I do see thought and I believe in this guy enough that I think the colors actually mean something specific. Um, Oh, I do. I do think that, but I couldn't define it for you. Uh, I like I couldn't okay. meaningfully. Do- I tried. Man. The orange ones make you hungry, so you buy more McNuggets while you're in. <laughs> well, he does theater. rely on yellow and orange for almost every significant moment of realization right. or breakthrough. Yeah, yeah, I thought that that's yeah. like yeah, it has to deal with uh like uh realization. Yeah, yeah I think he said it. Um, yeah, that's cool. I always love taking a color or taking a technique. And representing it as anytime there's an epiphany or anytime someone, you know, refuses the call or something like that uh, to just have this little color pop up or have this, you know, technique pop up. Very good stuff. Because once again, I I am of the mind that it's not pointing it out is really cool for a thing to to do as a podcast or do it internally as a viewer, but it doesn't actually need to be said, or it's just a thing that we do because there's a subconscious kind of reality to it. it. Yes. The lizard brain reacts to it. And even if you don't glean all of the details, you get, you infer the, the global meaning. And like, so that's why I always come back to the fact that like tension and anxiety, this movie really understands because it's about the quiet moments because it's just the reality of just like, Oh, you are a slave all the time from when you wake up to when you, well, forever. And it's just like, the, to display that with such kind of reverence for the moment to be like kind of not even important. Like these moments aren't even important. They're just moments and they drift away is so thoroughly Blade Runner. Um, he's just great at it. Uh, he's really great at it. I think um, so as I understand it, he used to be a cinematographer. I didn't go through his uh, I didn't go through his credits, but I believe. Yeah. Before he was a director, he was a cinematographer. 
and uh, is that, I didn't see it on IMDb. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I really get the feeling like he knows how to work well with production design. Like he's got a he's oh, got a yeah. unique skill in that, which was also Ridley Scott's skill. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, for people who don't know, what production design is production design basically creates the actual stuff in the frame, like the sets and the uh, to some degree, like basically anything in frame that's not the actors and the clothes they're wearing. And yeah. the light, the like setting, that's all production the colors, design. The locations. He has a unique gift for design that is uh, something we haven't seen, but also isn't dumb. You know what I mean? Like a lot of futuristic stuff has like you kind take, of a silliness to it. Yeah, because um, you take big, you take big swings, you know. And you, he has dumb. a way of greenlighting stuff that actually feels believable, and I think that's something that Star Wars also did really well. It's one of the reasons we love Star Wars is it had mm-hmm. a feeling that was like I kind of believe that actually. Yeah. Um, this movie and also Dune, I believe the worlds he created on a visceral mm-hmm. level and that I don't know how he did it and I wish I did because I could make a lot of money if I knew how it's, he did it it's amazing like, Stellene with that little fucking dream yeah like, like like call like what is that she has like a controller that is like yeah. super has all these buttons on it and spins and stuff like that that level of world building as soon as I saw that I was like yep that's probably what you'd mm. need in order to like paint dreams you know, some crazy controller yeah uh, he has a cool. little bit of a he does like to give us like a little extra moment to appreciate the production design so that might be part of it like for mm. instance there's that scene where uh the villain of the film played by Jared Leto and his assistant she like pulls out this little box that has a very like asian infused and like aesthetic and then there's like a a little button that she plugs into his ear <laughs> Yeah, that, like he uses to see it. We didn't need any of that. He could have pushed anything anywhere. He could have just it. had it on. Right. You know, he has to see always. So why but does he need a new drone, drone ship or whatever? Yeah, but he was willing to spend. I'm going to give 30 seconds to this little cool thing that production design designed. And for whatever reason, the process of it made the whole scene feel like, oh, this is a real place. Oh, totally. You know, and it's it's really smart. Um, and it's a thing that a director understands that an audience will never think about, but they feel it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and last thing is I just think Blade Runner has really great clothing design. Like, I think the clothes are really cool in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I like all of, them. I think they're all interesting. I mean, it, it's not just like little bits and bobs that look nice though like i love like the uh emanator goslin's gift to dearmus is the yeah, freedom to walk awesome. around yeah instead of kind of being tied to and like you mentioned he spent time to show you that it has this like arm that extends across the entire room like a marionette um and so he gives her freedom by taking away the interface from the arm and that's like not only a very cool visual like uh, production design quality of the movie, but it's also one that resonates with the theme slash, you know, the narrative entirely, you know, like uh, to quote the original, it's like, it's, it's about those that, that the impermanence of those moments. And when he has in the first night that he kind of like 
he gives her the emanator and then they mm. go out to the rain uh, so and then too. it discusses that. and they discuss the impermanence of events and moments. And then Gosling wants a real moment, needs it. And of course it's ruined by a voicemail that his job's asking for him to come back to the, to function as a slave. So it's like, yeah, it's not. And it just started with an arm that essentially emits something. That's just a cool thing about the future in this world and he t and it's turned into this metaphor for you know exactly what the movie's about but that's oh. once again me just reading into things probably a lot of futuristic worlds are basically designed with the following kind of construct like it's like if we took this culture but gave it a 50s aesthetic you know or like yeah. you'll see you'll see the three things they're mashing together um like my favorite example of it is looper that's doing it for comedy effect like if you look at the the, the Asian infused future, it's very much mm -hmm. like let's take this trend and this trend and exaggerate them so that it feels sci-fi, and uh, it's funny, you know what I mean? Like, and I think it's supposed to be funny. Um, yeah. But Villeneuve is very good at like burying his influences. You know what I mean? Like he he's good at greenlighting worlds where whatever the fusion of things is that you don't feel the reference so much as you feel the new thing that was built. Um, and it's awesome. It's really good. And now I don't need to go on about that. No, no, it's, it's absolutely right on. Um, anyone got any additional thoughts as we wrap up this episode? Swimmering? Nope. He's got all, he all the things he said in 60 minutes about Blade Runner has been said. I'm sure we could talk <laughs> about this movie forever, but in the interest of time and your, you know, as the audience, your time. Uh, I think we'll put a pin in that there. I want to thank Very Big T Potato once again. Thank for, you, Potato. For Thanks, bringing potato. this episode to us. This was such an enjoyable conversation. I love the way your brains both work. Um, and yeah, uh, you can check and see if someone has left the Pick the Flick tier. And if there is room, feel free to do the same. Be like Very Big Potato and help us out. Um, I don't know what we should do. Plug small beans mm -hmm. patreon.com slash small beans this is the sure. this is the first episode that we've kind of come out with that hasn't uh that hasn't been like during the papa bear kind of um mm -hmm. uh tell like not telephone the the crowdfunding campaign and so this one we're going back to if you're oh, on our patreon plugs. Yeah, yeah, if you're going on Patreon, uh, that is, uh, you're going to get all the content early. Uh, but I'm, almost everything goes free except for a few, uh, a few shows. Some of those shows include our collaborations with Game Flan Employed uh, as the Spielboys or Star Trek The Next Futurama. Um, and in terms of the Small Beans world, what you can look to in the next weeks is that we have a Like Razor Blade Pie episode coming up with Maggie Mayfish. We have a uh, director piece theater about Waterworld. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, we have another episode, Escape from the Multicursed, uh, you know, with the three of us. Uh, which is a great show to talk about. And of course, as always, we have shows like Is Me, uh, I'll Show You Mine If You Show Me Yours, uh, Shooting Threes, and Kings of King, all to round out the end of June and beginning of July. Uh, where can we find you, Adam, on oh, the internet? Thank you. Uh, Twitter has not burned all the way to the ground yet. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm over there in the ash heap 
on Twitter at uh, the Real Gans. Also, I stream a ton of video yeah. games for the podcast that Mike and I do called One Upsmanship. You may or may not have heard of it. It's on the iHeart Network. If you have not ever listened to it and love video games, hey, you'll like it probably. Give it a yes, shot. Indeed. Um, if you haven't reviewed or shared it, that would help us do that. But anyway, you can find me on Twitch, also at The Real Gans, uh, where I'll be twitching, I don't know, probably Zelda forever. Because, man, that game. <laughs> man, yeah. that Zelda game. Yeah. Yeah. He- playing games all the time and uh you got a great community over there um so it's definitely check both of those things out um i think that's it michael we'll check you later y'all check you later y'all this has been a small beans endeavor we're a bunch of pals who make podcasts sketches music web series and movies the beans always have new ideas percolating so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash small beans that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash small beans where you can browse all of our current and past content see what we've got planned in the future and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge giant monster beans If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!